In Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse number 1, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden, and let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, and they, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for allowing us to meet here this morning. We get to gather in your house to worship the risen Savior, Lord. How exciting is this, Lord? Help us never to lose sight of this. Help us never to lose sight of the fact that we serve the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, our Redeemer, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you this morning. Lord, help us as we look into your word this morning. Help us to apply the truths of your scripture to our lives so that we can be more like you, to be Christ-like, to be Christian. And Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I want you to begin number one here by looking back at verse number one. He says, if, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So this word spiritual mean, it's not, he's not trying to be sarcastic here. He's trying to tell them, you who are believers, you who are Christian. And that's kind of where I put it, this, this title this morning is simply to be Christian. To be Christian. Now, this is a simple concept here, I think. Again, this is not him trying to say, well, you guys that are spiritual, you should be doing something a little bit better here. That's not what Paul's intent here. It is a genuine call for believers to act like believers. And Paul here is about to give some guidance to those who are already Christian. And Again, I think what he's simply stating for us, to put it in, at least in my, my mentality, is to, say, is to simply say, be Christian. In our home, at, ho at my house here, and for many years, as my, as my children grew up, as they, as they would leave to go out, and whether it was to, to work with my son, he used to work at Chick-fil-A when we lived in Tennessee, and he would leave, and I'd say, son, what's, what's the guidance? And he would know exactly what to say, be smart, be safe, 
and be Christian. And it was something that was that just, just stuck. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it, but just be smart, be safe, be Christian. And I was on the back of my door, and Kiki wrote it as you, as you exit our door. I thought it was kind of nice there. But we are to be Christian. It is as much an adjective as it is a noun. And before we get too far into this here, I think there is an obvious implication that we must first be Christian, be a Christian, for us to be Christian. If you're not spiritual, you must be spiritual to be spiritual. And much like the other epistles throughout all the New Testament, if not all the all of the New Testament is written to believers. Now, there's a lot of, a lot of ought to's, a lot of motivational speaking in there, and not to, not to take that away from Scripture or to speak less of Scripture, but to be saved. But it's written to believers. Galatians chapter 1, verse 2 tells us that Paul wrote this letter unto the churches of Galatia. The churches of Galatia. And to be a part of the church, we see what that means there in Acts chapter 1 and 2, that we are to be a believer. We are to be in the body of Christ. So if you're not a believer this morning in Christ, the implica- implication is not just to walk away. You're like, okay, this is not for me. God wants all of us to be believers. He's not willing that any should perish. That means any of us. That means that person that cuts us off in the autobahn and we're angry at him. God, Christ died for that soul. He wants that individual to be saved. So it's not like, oh, well, better luck next time. But we are to be a believer. We are to take this at heart. I mean, how much more serious could God, the creator God, care for our souls than to take the life of his only son? I mean, what more, what more could he do? We are to be believers. We are to be Christians. Do you know that James, the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 14, that this life is like a vapor. Just a short time. And if you think about that, we have only a vapor of time to make a decision for eternity. A vapor of time to make a decision that affects all of our eternity. When it's all said and done and we're standing before a holy God, when our faith becomes sight or our lack of faith becomes sight, it's too late. The decision must be made now. We must live by faith now. There's no living by faith in heaven. We see our faith becomes sight. It's here that we have faith. And it's only by faith we enter heaven. We must choose to accept Jesus Christ and not reject Him. Choose Him as our Savior, our Deliverer. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul reminds us that Jesus gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present world, according to the will of God and our Father. So the very first question this morning is is simple. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a believer? Have you given yourself to Christ? He gave himself for you. Have you given yourself to him? Have you accepted the payment? Again, that word Christian is both a noun. It describes what you are as, as much as it describes your behavior. It describes our position in Christ, but it should also describe our practice in Christ. Do we act Christian? Do we behave Christian? It describes who we are because of who we follow, because we believe in Christ, and it should also describe our behavior. And again, for those who are not believers this morning, whether here in this room or maybe later on through through YouTube or whatever it may be, there is an overwhelming thrust all throughout the New Testament and even in the Old for us to be a believer. 
for to, to be believers, to accept Christ as our Savior here in the New Testament, to be a Christian. John chapter 20, verse 31 said this, These things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through His name. That's what it was written for. But if there's an overwhelming thrust in the New Testament to be Christian, to be a Christian, there's also an overwhelming thrust to act and behave like a Christian. And Paul kind of gives us a glimpse of what it means to be a Christian here in Galatians chapter 6. He gives us a few characteristics of what it means to be Christian. And in verse 1, we see, Brethren, if, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So Paul uses the example of a fallen brother uh, to exhort those who haven't fallen, or the other, other way around, the example of a, of, a, of a person in sin to a person not in sin to go encourage that. You who are not fallen in sin, go, go help that individual. So our goal, just, just out of that first verse, we see that our goal in conflicts is always reconciliation. It's always restoration. Matter of fact, that, that, that carries over into everything that we leave, even in husband and wife, when we, when we argue... Of course, we never argue, but the goal is always reconciliation. When, when, when what's said is said, whether wrong, right, or indifferent, the goal, once we get over ourselves, if you will, should be restoration always, not to drive a wedge further from you. And the same is true in our walk with Christ. But this verse also tells us that we are to consider some things. The last part of that verse says, consider thyself. And then verse 2, he says, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So number one this morning, to be Christian is to be considerate. To be Christian is to be considerate. We are to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. The spirit of meekness. That's normally not how it goes. (laughs) We go to have a conflict with one another. We don't go to restore. Even sometimes when we go with a, with a spirit of reconciliation, we kind of forget about the spirit of meekness. But we should carry that. We should have that with us. We should, and to do that, number one, we are to consider ourselves under, under being considerate. We are to consider ourselves. You know, sometimes we are the greatest obstacle. I am the greatest obstacle in my walk with God. There's no doubt about it. I can blame all the surroundings and all the things that we'll talk about here later, the oppositions to living right for the Lord, but I am my greatest obstacle. To overcome self is, is quite an quite a accomplishment. And using this, this scenario here of a fallen brother in sin, Paul tells us to consider yourself first lest ye fall in temptation. You know, sometimes when we have a friend or a close acquaintance fall into sin, we see something happen to them or they're in it and you're Our first, sometimes it's like, well, if they didn't do this, they wouldn't be there. Or if they did this, they wouldn't do that. We kind of rationalize, you know, the reasons why I'm not in that condition, but the reasons they are in that condition. But I think we must be very careful here. And that's what Paul is talking about here. We must be careful and consider ourselves. Look at verse 3. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So God, through Paul here, states that we deceive ourselves if we think we are more than we are, as in that condition, that fault that's happened to that other brother, that could never happen to me. 
I could never fall into that sin. But honestly, none of us are really immune to sin. We have the spirit of Almighty God living within us, but we're also in the flesh. None of us are immune to arrogance or pride. And most of us have a higher estimation of self. I think more of me than probably most other people do. I mean, I think, I think that's just a given. But we must keep ourselves in check. When, and that's what Paul's talking about here. To check ourselves. To make sure we are right with God. And considering ourselves in this manner. Considering who we are before God. It helps us to be Christian. Consider self. And then look at verse number two. Again, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to consider others. Consider Christ, or consider self, and we are to consider others. It's a quite clear statement here in verse two. In fact, I believe it's an imperative statement. In other words, it's a, it's a command versus a suggestion. We are to bear one another's burden. It's not like if you're a good Christian, you would bear one another's burdens. Paul is saying if you are a Christian, you are to bear one another's burdens. Think of it this way. In numerous passages in the New Testament, Scripture refers to the local church as a body of Christ, as the local body of Christ. And I think it does so, so we can understand what God is trying to convey when He speaks of this body of Christ. For example, if I were to break my arm, Erica just broke her arm not too long ago. I guess it's been a long time now, a year or so. No? No? April. April. Okay. So this year. So she broke her arm. Did you use your other arm more because the other arm was broken? No, really? Okay, don't use that for an example. Imagine if I broke my leg and, uh, and it's healing, right? And so I got I to gotta carry a crutch and I got to put more weight on the unbroke leg than I do on the broke leg. So I'm literally bearing the load of the other leg, right? Y'all can picture that. It's not too hard for us to understand that. Thanks, Erica. I appreciate that. <laughs> but this is the idea that God wants us to do. When something is hurting in the body, and another part of the body who is not hurting in that area compensates and helps that part of the body get through whatever they're struggling to get through. The idea that God wants to convey is that it is a local body. And I think I'm strong local church. And my understanding of Scripture, as I've studied through this for many, many years, I believe the church is a local thing. I'm not saying there's not a, 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 a larger collection of believers. That is obviously the case. But the local church is what God has ordained in this world to help one of us. I mean, think about this. I can't mow the lawn or change the oil for my mom back in Virginia, when she's not feeling well. Not that she mows the lawn or changes her oil, but I can do it for you. I can do it for you. So when you're going through something and you need, for some reason you had a cold and all of a sudden you need your oil changed, you can call me and say, hey, I can't change my oil. So I'd come change your oil. I mean, you get what I'm saying here. We can do it for each other. We can't do it for those around the world. We can do it in the local church. We can't bear each other's burdens also if we don't know each other's burdens. We must know each other's burden. Bearing implies sharing. And sharing implies caring. Caring enough about this body of church because it is redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Caring enough where, or respecting it, maybe it would be a better way to put that. If I respect this body of believers enough, and I just ignore for a moment all the, all the negative things that we can say about each of us. I mean, the closer we get to know each other, the more we're going to see, wow, 
he's really not as holy as I thought he was. But that's all right, as long as I am as redeemed as you thought I was, because that is the key. And we're supposed to live as if we're trying to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, but respect the body enough where when you're feeling under the weather, when you're feeling like you can't do something and something has to be done, call a church member and let them know, hey, can you help me with this? That's the body. That's the family that God wants us to have here, to have that liberty to share each other's burdens within this ministry. In other words, part of considering others is thinking high enough about them, thinking high enough about the church that you can freely share those burdens. Now, just to be clear, this is, this is not a plea for me to come mow your lawn <laughs> or change your oil or shovel your snow just because you don't want to do it. Now, if you need somebody to do it, please call me. I will come do it. As much as I can, I would help. But don't say, oh, I'm feeling a little... Pastor, can you don't do that? Please don't do that. I would probably still come, but maybe, maybe. But look at verse six. Galatians six six tells us that every man should bear his own burden. Now let's look at that practically. In other words, if you have snow to shovel, you go shovel your snow. That's bearing your own burden. I shovel my snow, you shovel your snow. But when you can't shovel your snow, you call Brother Shannon, and he will come <laughs> shovel your snow. But we must first start with every man bearing his own burden. We are to bear those burdens, and we are to bear one another's burdens. See, look at the difference there. Look at verse number two again. Bear one another's burdens. And verse five says, for every man shall bear his own burden. So there's a contrast there. We're supposed to bear each other's burdens, and we're also supposed to bear our own burdens. Well, if everybody's bearing their own burdens, how are we going to bear other people's burdens? The, the conclusion is when they cannot do it. We are to bear one another's burdens when, for whatever reason, they just simply need some help. And part of what it means for a Christian to be Christian is to consider ourselves, consider others, and then look at verse number two again. And so fulfill the law of Christ. We are to consider Christ. He is, of course, our greatest consideration. And Paul could have started with him, but he didn't. So it's like he crescendos into an ultimate cause here, the cause of Christ. In fact, as an acronym when I, that I learned as a child, many of y'all probably heard it, is the acronym JOY. Y'all probably heard that before, Jesus, others, and you. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Um, but you put Jesus first, you put others, and then you put yourself, and voila, you have joy. Um, it works. And Paul echoes this thought in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So he's, he's saying again to look, take after others, bear one another's burdens. But then he gives us an example of who to follow in the very next verse in Philippians 2, 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to consider Christ in all that we do. Consider Christ. And I don't think we can find a simpler pattern to follow to be Christian if we consider Christ, consider others, and consider ourselves. And then continuing down this passage to verse 7, Paul makes, I believe, another crystal clear statement, a warning, if you will. He says, be not deceived. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So not only are we to be considerate, we are to be cognizant. We are to be aware of some things. We're not to be deceived. We're supposed to be in the know. Don't be fooled, if you will. 
don't be fueled, don't be fooled as there will always be consequences for our actions. When I was at this retreat in uh, a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago in Rotenburg, uh, we have a retreat every year where a number of missionaries around the world, mostly from Europe, come together and we just preach at each other and sing and have fellowship. And it is, it is a wonderful blessing. And uh, I had to I had to preach twice. I got to preach to the teens, and that was, that was fun. And uh, I got to preach to the men. And they give you a title before you go, like months in advance. And the title I had to preach to the men was Remember Lot's Wife. I was at a loss. I don't know what in the world they were thinking, but I preached Remember Lot's Wife. And um, I got to the point, and my conclusion was that every choice has a consequence. Every choice has a consequence. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. You know, we are free to make our own choices. We are not free to make, not free to choose those consequences. I can tell my wife that I'm free to grow a beard. And she's free not to kiss me. Ever. <laughs> she does not like it. So we can make our own choices, but we have to deal with those consequences. And God is simply telling us that we should always be aware of this fact. There's no room for complacency in our walk with God. And in our walk with Christ, I think there are at least three things. He talks about one here, but I'm going to use this as an opportunity to speak about two other ones. There's many. Uh, but I think these three kind of capture all of them. There are three things that we need to be aware of. Number one, we need to be aware of our enemy, the devil, Satan. He is our enemy. We are to be cognizant of the fact that we have an enemy. Peter calls him a roaring lion. His name means accuser of the brethren. And we see him all throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We see him take heights in places like Job and, and even tempting Judas and even tempting Christ and all these other places, even Peter. He's all throughout the Scriptures. Ignoring him won't make him go away. Be not deceived that we have an enemy. And then another thing is to beware of our surroundings. To beware of those things that are around us. You know, we should be aware of, be cognizant of the influences in our lives. Control what comes into our life. We are to be insulated from the world, not isolated. We are to control what comes into our minds. You know, what we put into our mind usually comes out of our mouth. Jesus says, out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And he continued with that concept there in Matthew 15. He said, with that which cometh out of the, man, uh, out of the mouth, this defileth the man. Not what we eat. You know, you eat maybe McDonald's hamburger for every day for the rest of your life. Probably not real healthy, but it doesn't defile you spiritually. Well, maybe. I guess if you took that to an extreme. But that's, Jesus is talking about spiritual things here. Things of the heart, things that come out of the heart defile a man. But what we put in our mind is going to come out of our heart because it reaches our heart. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul elaborated this truth a little further by saying, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Now, what do you think communications are? I mean, this can be anything. Communications between you and your spouse, between you and your best friend, between you and your children, between the television and you, the radio and you, what books we read, what company we keep. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. They don't help us be Christian. And all of this simply points to the fact that we should be cognizant 
of how we influence our surroundings and how our surroundings influence us. So there is the devil that opposes Christian living. There is the sinful influences that oppose Christian living. And then Paul goes right back to self, right back to self. We are to be aware of ourselves. Look at verse 7 and 8 again. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. We began this chapter with considering ourselves. And Paul is talking right back again. What you do matters. What you and I do matters. Every consequence or every action has a consequence. If we sow in the Spirit, we reap in the Spirit. If we sow in flesh, we reap corruption. Now, we, of course, all of us who have been saved for a number of minutes, would readily admit that I already know that, Pastor. I already know that if I do bad things, I'm going to, bad things are going to happen to me, so to speak, within, within that concept here. But in our actions and in my actions, I think I often sow in the flesh, expecting to reap in the Spirit. Right, We sow in the flesh, well, God is going to take care of me no matter how I sow, whatever I do, He's going to take care of me. But it doesn't work this way. That's not what God has promised. In fact, He's saying that don't do it. Don't be deceived. Be aware of it. God is not going to be mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. Sometimes we indeed reap what we did not sow, like salvation and like eternal life, because God did all the work there, something we didn't earn. But every time we reap This is something I've learned through life experience. Sometimes when I do something wrong and I reap the consequences of what I did wrong, many times because I'm a Christian, I believe that God has not allowed the consequences to be as severe as those actions merited. Does that make sense? So I've done something like I I went, I sped for 25 miles over the speed limit and the cop pulls you over and gives you a five over, right? You deserve a 25 over, but you got a five over, right? So I should have gotten the worst end of the deal and paid hundreds of dollars of court costs. And I've also learned that when I do something good for God, the things that we reap spiritually are a whole lot more than what I reap. I do something small, and I probably maybe earned a, a silver coin, if you will, spiritually, and I get a hundred silver coins. God takes care of His children. And for the record, I just want to point out here that reaping and sowing are, of course, agricultural terms. They're farming terms. And just to be clear, sowing is planting. What reaping is to harvesting. You know, one plants, one harvests. Sowing is what you and I do, and reaping is because of what we do. We are free to make a choice, but for the most part, we cannot choose the consequences. For example, if I planted pinto beans, I can expect after a few months or weeks or whatever, I've never actually planted a pinto bean because I don't eat pinto beans, but if I were to plant one, a plant of pinto beans would show up after a while. But if I were to plant jelly beans... I don't think I'm going to get some pinto beans. Huh? But I really wish they would make jelly beans. Never mind, whatever. But anyway, the Bible clearly teaches here that we will reap what we sow. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. To mock means to ridicule, to sneer, to turn the nose up, one concordance put it. And this is God we're talking of. This is God we're talking about. He's telling us, 
God will not be mocked. You go do this. You can, we can turn our nose up to God all day long, but He will not be mocked. He will not accept it. We will reap what we sow. And our takeaway is that if we keep this in mind, this concept in mind, it will keep us in line. If we are aware that God is watching our every move and we reap what we sow, it will help us keep us in line. Now, he's not up there like some mean ogre slapping us when we do something wrong. He's there to encourage us as a loving father. But he will not be mocked. We must stay cognizant of what we sow. We must remain aware of our actions. And I know there are many applications here that we can pull from this text, but I think the principle of every one of those applications remains constant. Spiritual deeds have spiritual consequences, and sinful deeds have sinful consequences. We can't expect to reap spiritual things if we do not sow spiritual things. We cannot expect to have a wonderful ministry here if we never put any effort into this ministry. Spiritual efforts result in spiritual blessings. And only the things we do for Christ will truly matter in the end. He that soweth to the end, or he that soweth to the Spirit, shall of the Spirit reap ever life everlasting. That is a promise from God for believers. A promise from the Word of God, which is the springboard I think Paul uses to go to the next verse. Look at that again, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That's the negative. The positive. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit leap, uh, reap life everlasting. So let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. I think this is a great motivator for not being weary in well-doing. So going along with our alliteration here, if you will, be considerate, be cognizant. We are to be committed Committed Christians. Look at verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We are to be committed Christians. We are to be committed to doing good things, to well-doing. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. I'm afraid that many Christians who have, taught, have been taught rightfully so that we have an eternal salvation fall too much onto that and say, well, I can live however I want to live and I don't need to be a committed Christian because Jesus paid it all. Now, Jesus did pay it all, but we must be committed Christians. We must walk worthy of what He's done for us on that cross. Farmers today and in Bible times work all day long. I'm, every time I drive through the country here, even on Sundays sometimes, you see these farmers with their lights on out, out in the field still working. My, my hat goes off to them. They spend many days planting what crops are needed for the day. I kind of, I grew up in the country and I grew certain crops like corn, not pinto beans, by the way, and not, not like corn and green beans, I didn't plant jelly beans either. Uh, but I can imagine, you know, we did it, we only had a couple acres there, but I can imagine hundreds or thousands of acres and how, how some farmers might feel after sowing seeds all day long. Now think of that today, it's even hard work, but think about it a thousand years ago, how they would still go row after row. Can you imagine? There you are, throwing seed into the ground, one by one maybe, hoping and praying it will be a great harvest. But let's be real about that. You don't see anything coming out of the ground for a number of weeks. Nothing. You plant something and it's there. You dig it up, it, you show your lack of faith, and you damage the seed potentially. 
You have to have faith that God's going to bring the increase. You pray for it, but you can't see it for a while. You find yourself becoming weary in that well-doing because you cannot see the harvest. And it's too easy for us to fall into that mindset when it comes to ministry or even raising our children or even in the workplace. We put a lot of effort in some things, and if we don't see the harvest, many times we start to question, well, why am I even doing this? Why am I even putting all this effort into this if nothing is, I see no fruit? Maybe we start the year off great. We start the month off great, the week or even this morning. But somewhere along the line, we lose our focus. We don't consider Christ. We forget about serving others. We become complacent in our commitment to Christ. We let life get in the way of our service to Christ. And we get just plain wore out living for God. And quite honestly, I think if most times, if not all the time, it's difficult because we can't see what the efforts of what we put in, the fruit of what we put in. I had a close friend of mine once tell me that, well, he shared with me the difficulties that he had with his own father. And he said that, he said this, I'm tired of being the bigger man. I'm tired of every time we have a conversation of trying to be the the, the one that takes the high ground. In his mind, he was the one that was always going the extra mile with no fruit to show in that relationship. And it was understandably weighing him down. Now, he, of course, didn't strike didn't stop trying, and today they have a decent relationship. But we can see how hard it is to be committed when you can't see the fruit of something that you want so dearly. I mean, think of the farmer again. Putting his stuff, his seeds, if you will, into the soil. Many times the reason we can't see the harvest or we get weary in looking for the harvest is because our faith is misplaced. Again, think of the farmer. Where should his faith be? Should his faith be in his efforts of the actual planting of the seed? I mean, the Bible says we shall reap what we sow, right? Or should his faith be in the seed? For without the seed, there is no harvest, of course. You have to plant something. Or better yet, should his faith be in the soil? I mean, all of these things, we go back to maybe the Lord's parable and the sower and the seed. You get the soil, the seed, and the sower. Uh, Where is our faith to be? Good seed and good soil should always equal a good harvest. Isn't our faith somewhere involved in some of those things? All of those are needed. We must put forth effort. We must plant good seed, and we must put it in the right soil, but our faith is not in any of those things. Our faith is in the Lord, in the Lord of harvest. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. First uh, Corinthians 3, 7 says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, <clears throat> but God that giveth the increase. We need not to be well, uh, weary in well-doing because we serve a God that gives increase even when we cannot see it. We're not responsible for the growth. I'm not responsible for the growth of this ministry. That's God's business. He alone is the Lord of harvest. We are responsible for the sowing. We are responsible for the well-doing. Because in due season, we shall reap. I like that that phrase, in due season, we will reap. Not out of season, but in due season, in His season. The reaping is according to the Lord's timing, not ours. We are His laborers. 
We have not been commanded to increase, to make things grow. That is the fruit of our labors and all God's work. We've been commanded to sow the seed. We've been commanded not to get weary. We are to be committed to what we've been commanded to do and nothing more. In my life, many of y'all know I spent many years in the United States military. I have seen people, I used to be one of them, I have seen people completely sold out for their country. Completely sold out for the country. I have witnessed men continually sow without reaping for causes far less than Jesus Christ. Far less. Being patriotic is, of course, a good thing. As an American, I love my country. I love serving my country. But I love my Savior more. He is more worthy. And as tough as it may be in the ministry or in our walk with Christ, we should be willing to sow without ever seeing the harvest. Without ever seeing increase. Don't be weary in well-doing. Continue. Be committed. This should be the measure of our resolve, the level of our commitment. Because again, our faith is not in the harvest. It's not in the seed. It's not in the soil. It's not in our well-doing. It's in the Lord of harvest, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But He does promise us a harvest. Praise God for in due season. Now that due season might be something completely different to our time, but there is a harvest coming. If, if, what a small little word in the middle of life. If we faint not. Notice that last phrase of verse 9, if we faint not. This means that sowing is sometimes just plain old hard work. Sowing is hard work. Being committed is not going to be easy always. And there are many implications here that we can find in this phrase, if we faint not. I mean, think about a physical farmer out there doing hard work. What keeps him from fainting is the proper nutrients, maybe a good night's rest, proper training, hydrated, all those things. And the same is true of us spiritually. We can't just go out into the world tomorrow and expect to live a Christian life if we're spiritually anemic. We must have the nutrients of the Word of God, the preaching of the Word of God, prayer, and all these things. Well-doing is easily a reference to our walk with God, our prayer life, our commitment to studying His Word, even a commitment to His, His church. In fact, the next verse, as we've already read, says, Do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. And all this to say, we must be committed Christians. You know, the world desperately needs committed Christians. Desperately. Desperately. Your community needs Christians, committed Christians. This church needs committed Christians. Your neighbors, your loved ones, they need committed Christians. I need you to be a committed Christian. So wherever, wherever you are in your walk with God, make, make it a point to be committed. Let's look at verse number 12. I'm going to give you another point. It's not in the notes here. and We're, we're almost finished here. Actually, look at verse number 11. It says, Ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. This, this last point, I was, I was going back and forth in my prayers about having it something that I keep personal or something that I share. But in our outline, we, we see that we are to be Christian. We are to be considerate, be cognizant, and be committed. And then this last one is to be crucified. Again, this is more of a personal note with me, but I'm going to share it with you this morning. We are to be crucified. This last truth, it flies contrary to our normal thinking. Everything, all that we are, we, we do not want to be crucified. And I'm talking spiritually here, of course, what our desires and all those things. But of all the things on this list here, that we should do or that we should be, if we get this one right, all of those other things will fall into place. If we are truly crucified in Christ, like Galatians 2.20 states, all of the other things in our walk will just be right where they need to be because we are dead to self. In verse 14, Paul says, The world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So let's look at this, the reason he wrote this. The theme I want to point out, I didn't say this in the beginning, but the theme for the entire book of Galatians is law versus grace. And some people were coming to these Galatian churches and they were trying to tell these new Christians that they need to keep the Mosaic law. They need to be obedient to the law. Now, there are some, we should obey the laws, don't get me wrong, but they were saying you need to be obedient to the law to be Christian, legalist. And verse 11 is saying that these legalist, quote-unquote, Christians, if you will, preached keeping the law to avoid the offense or the persecution that followed the preaching of the cross. Y'all know the, the story of the New Testament church. It was growing. The most persecution in the beginning was from the Jews. Well, the new church, some of the people in this Galatian church, because the, the greatest persecution was from the Jews, they decided, well, we'll just say that we're will follow all the Mosaic laws so that they won't persecute us. They were compromising. They compromised their doctrine to avoid persecution from the Jews. And even today, it seems to always be the case that misery loves company. We want, all the, we want everybody to come in here, and we can probably park there for a moment, but we won't. It wasn't enough for them to be in bondage to the law. They wanted everybody to be in bondage to the law. They wanted everybody to be a part of their sin. They could not care less about the cross. That's evident. And here's where we get a, a quick application this morning. Verse 12 begins with their desire to make a fair show in the flesh. And then notice verse 13 after that. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. So they make a fair show in the flesh so that they can glory in the flesh. In other words, Christians, quote-unquote, were getting glory through the obedience of other Christians. I think that's very evident here. Christians were getting glory through the obedience of other Christians, and I think this is more common than you might realize. I think we may see it in the workplace, when a young worker fulfills all the expectations of an older worker who trained him. We may see it in the church where a young preacher or a young Sunday school teacher fulfills all the expectations of the person who trained them. And we may see it even in the home. This is where it gets personal for me. Where a child fulfills all the expectations of their parents when they are young, or especially when they're older. 
Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that the young worker shouldn't please his trainer, that the young preacher shouldn't please his mentor, or that children shouldn't honor their parents. And nor am I saying that trainers, preachers, and parents shouldn't be pleased with their subordinates. But as verse 12 points out, we are not to make a fair show in the flesh of them. They are not our trophies. We are not to glory in them. We are not to glory in their doing a good job. When they do something right, we are tempted, I am tempted, and even fallen into this, we swell up with pride as if we accomplish something through them. But we are not to glory in them. Our glorying must be reserved for the cross of Christ. And personally, I think this is graduate-level Christianity because it is difficult not glorying in your children. It is difficult to not live somewhat vicariously through those we have influenced and glory in their achievements. Yes, we are to do our best in providing a good influence to those we influence. And we are to do our best to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I think this passage is talking about we must keep our boasting in check. We must keep our glorying only in the cross of Jesus Christ. When they do good, we give glory to God. When they fail, we give glory to God. We always give glory to God. We are to crucify the desires of our pride. When the world or or the things of this world point to how good a person I am or how good a job I did through somebody else, I am to crucify that concept. I'm going to give it to the Lord. And on the other hand, when the world or the things of this world point to how bad a person I am, how much I failed through somebody else, we're to give glory to God. We give always all these things to the Lord. We are to glory in the cross. To bring this all kind of to a closure, again, wherever you are in your walk with God, if you are a Christian, be a considerate Christian. Considerate of others, considerate of yourself, and of course, considerate of Christ. Be aware of the fact that God will not be mocked, and we will reap what we sow. Be committed. Stay the course. Stay the course. Don't worry about the harvest. The increase is God's job. Don't get weary. In due season we shall reap because He is worthy. The Lord is worthy. Regardless of how much we see in the harvest, if we see nothing in this life, stay the course. Be considerate. Be cognizant. Be committed. Be crucified. Be Christian. Let us pray.